Hello and welcome to another episode of Soul Care with me, Angie Fatal. I'm going to start this week by saying I've been fighting some kind of a cold, so hopefully I'm not going to be coughing throughout this episode. Um, If I am, we're just going to have to deal with it. Everybody has vulnerabilities, and that is one of my vulnerabilities this week, I'm sure. I have many other vulnerabilities that we will not get into. I did want to talk this week about what we believe about ourselves. And this has been something that throughout the course of my life, I have thought a lot about. And recently when I was in Colorado, I spoke about it. And what, so you don't know, but while I was there, I spoke at my friend Kathy's community meeting and their community meeting was centered around a poem and the poem is called, and the table will be wide. It's, it's a blessing for a communion Sunday service, which is what they were doing. Anyway, my portion of the meeting was to talk about something that was meaningful to me and connected in possibly in some way to the poem, but also could embrace a spiritual practice that I have. So as I was thinking about it and also sitting with all of the stories from all of the workshops that I had done that weekend. So that was the weekend that I went to Colorado and did probably about 10 workshops, hearing and holding story. A lot of those stories traumatic. A lot of those stories involving growth, which also tends to involve pain Lots of stories, because there were over 30 people that came and did the archery workshops. So that gives you a little background of what I was going into that Sunday evening. So I had written something up. I hadn't even really read the poem, but Kathy and I had talked about possibly what I was going to talk about. And the way I write, um, any kind of talk that I'm going to do is usually centered around something that I'm thinking about because I'm not a very good speaker if I'm not speaking about something that has intrinsic meaning to myself either something that I've already kind of gotten a handle on or been moving through or have a new understanding or I'm working through at the pre- at that present moment so I showed up to the Sunday service and a lot of people in the refuge community I have gotten to know over the years. So it's like coming home. And since I do not have a community that I'm involved in myself at the present, it just feels good. It feels good to have people know me, you know, over the course of not just the five years that I've been going to do archery there, but Todd and I, my husband, and our children have been going 
to Colorado over the last probably 12 or 13 years to do songwriting workshops, to play games, just to do all kinds of things with the refuge community. So some of the people in that community I have known for like 12, 13 years. And they've seen me as a pastor, as a songwriter and music person and now as somebody that is not a pastor anymore and is doing something relatively different than what I was doing before. So it feels good to be seen. And that's just another (laughs) side note that I think that everybody benefits from being seen by other people to be known and to be understood, even if it's just a tiny bit by other people, feels good. Um, So anyway, I'm at the Sunday service. They do a meal. Everybody's visiting. I end up at a table. I think I might have even mentioned this in my podcast with Kathy So if you want to refer to that podcast, it's the podcast I did with Kathy Escobar. But I talk about ending up at this table with a family that I didn't know and just holding space with the awkwardness, which is something that I've come to really value. Anytime you're talking about vulnerability, um, you know, spiritual concepts, lofty concepts, whatever, with people that you don't know, it can be awkward. And and I think it's good to wrestle with that awkwardness, especially in the way that I think our society tends to work these days is a lot of those awkward moments we're sheltered from because we can curate our lives in a certain way to avoid discomfort and awkwardness. I don't think that's necessarily healthy. I think the more that we can encounter difference, the more that it challenges us to shift and change. So the the thing that we were supposed to do as a table was to read this poem and the table will be wide and then talk about it. So it was this husband and wife and three of their daughters and I think it was three of their daughters and one of their daughters I think is under the age of six and her friend so it's you know probably I'm the oldest 49 to six so you get you know an amazing array of answers to the questions but anyway here is the poem I want to give credit to the poem writer, the poem, I think that, wait, let me make sure. Yes. This poem is written by a woman named Jan Richardson. She has a book out called The Cure for Sorrow and In Wisdom's Path and In the the Sanctuary of Women. And that's all I'm going to talk about right now. (coughs) Here's the poem. And the table will be wide, and the welcome will be wide, and the arms will open wide to gather us in, and our hearts will open wide to receive, and we will come as children who trust 
there is enough. And we will come unhindered and free, and our aching will be met with bread, and our sorrow will be met with wine. And we will open our hands to the feast without shame, and we will turn toward each other without fear, and we will give up our appetite for despair, and we will taste and know of delight. And we will become bread for a hungering world, and we will become drink for those who thirst, and the blessed will become the blessing, and everywhere will be the feast. So, whatever you think about the poem, it still, it still gets under my skin, and there's a specific reason why. And that's what I want to talk about. So at our table, one of the questions was, is there a, you know, first, is there someone who you think should not be at the table or you've thought should not be at the table? So <clears throat> I won't really get into that. Um, and then another question was, was there a something like, was there a piece of this poem that stood out to you? And there was, to me. And when I got up to talk about what I was going to talk about, I talked a little bit about the poem. And the thing that stood out to me in the poem is, and we will give up our appetite for despair. And we will give up our appetite for despair. And I will give up my appetite for despair. And the thing that was so profound to me in that poem, in those, in that, in the words of that poem was, I feel like despair is given to us. That through trauma, through abuse, through neglect, through isolation, through racism, through sexism, through through all of the ways that we other people and traumatize people We are giving people an appetite for despair. And when I looked out on the people in the refuge, some I know, a lot of them I didn't know, I felt something shift. And and there's no way in this podcast to give what I, what I felt words. Because I still can barely understand what I felt. But I felt this moment where I could not breathe. I I had to bend down and put my hands on my thighs to catch my breath and try to get the words out. 
because I, I could not the my in the inside of myself the container of who I am could not contain what I felt and what I felt was almost like a tangible feeling of despair and hope commingling in a way that is like almost like I could see the future and the future had hope in it. But I'm still always balancing on the line of despair and hope, despair and hope, hope and despair. And something that people who know me the best know is I do not like to cry in front of people. It's it's not comfortable for me. And I do not like to cry in a way that I can't control. <laughs> so, but it was, there was a moment where I could decide whether I was going to give myself over to this thing that I felt and speak through it or to tidy it all back up. And because I trust this community of people and I trust myself, I'm more interested in what's on the other side of my own discomfort. I'm also pretty sure it it was it was maybe uncomfortable for some of them too. Who knows? I don't know. One of the things that came from that moment is it bled into what I wanted to talk to them about. And what I wanted to talk to them about and what I want to talk to you about is the things that we believe about ourselves. When I say to you, remember who you are, what do you hear? So think about that. When I say to you, remember who you are, what do you hear? That is the real you, deep down in the core of who you are, the untouched, undamaged, untormented, unsullied person, the real you. That's who you are. So whatever word popped up for you, whatever good word, because sometimes the first words we hear are what other people told us we were. But if you sit with it and you listen to your inner voice, your inner voice will tell you who you really are. Maybe that's nurturer. Maybe that's bringer of peace. Maybe that's connector. Maybe I, I don't know what it is. But that is who you really are. That's what you bring when you live fully who you are in the world. If you didn't hear the beautiful, real, core person, if you didn't hear that first, if you heard that other thing that you believe about yourself, maybe you're not enough, maybe you're, you know broken, maybe your damaged goods, 
maybe you're a fraud, maybe you're a liar, whatever those words are that you believe about yourself, those aren't the reality of who you are. Maybe you've maybe you've acted in those ways, but that doesn't make you that person. That doesn't make you that thing. I think a lot of times we are given messages over the course of our lives, and some of those messages were intended for us. Absolutely. Like, maybe we had a parent that was trying to protect us from bullies or, you know, getting hurt on it in the, in the world, and they said things like, yeah, I don't think that's for you. I don't think you're capable of that. Or I don't think you're physically agile enough or smart enough. And they mean it for good. But you take it into yourself as who you are, as, as the core of your being. So something that somebody meant as a positive thing to protect you is not a positive thing because it it convinced you that you're somebody that you're not <coughs> coughs are going to be fun on this the other thing are things that people did to you and said to you that were meant to keep you down maybe they had no idea that it would help shape you and be a constant reminder to you of your failings. I think often people just say something to feel better about themselves, but don't realize the magnitude of the words they have, like a teacher that says you're stupid, or somebody that calls you slow or puts you in a group. You know, for me, one of the biggest shaping things for me was having to go from I was in a new school and I had to go from the second grade class that I was in. I was in second grade and walked to the first grade class to read with the first graders. That was humiliating for me. Nobody said anything. Nobody needed to say anything. They communicated to me that I was stupid. And that stuck. And then there were lots of contributing things that confirmed that I was stupid. And it didn't matter if it was true or not. Most of the things about us are not true, but the seed takes root and it changes who we are. It shapes, it like, it affects. I don't think it changes who we are, but it maybe it, it alters our belief about ourselves. And most of the people that say or do these things don't give a second thought about what they've said, but it, it, it alters, it alters us. And so I want, I want us to think about who we are really in the world. So when I say, when I said that to my kids, when they were leaving to, for school every morning, I don't remember where I came up with it. I think I was doing my own internal work with a therapist and... I was probably telling myself, remember who you are. So when I'm looking at my two children and I'm saying to them before they leave for school, remember who you are, I'm saying it to myself at the same time because I have forgotten who I am and I've believed a lie about myself. 
Okay, so you might be asking yourself, what's what's the real damage or what's the big deal about believing one small lie? Well, I think over time, a lie weaves a web. So it's not just one lie. So if I take it out, if I take the belief that I'm stupid out, and I see how many ways that lie that I believed about myself was confirmed in, you know, not, not, not failing, but I felt like it was failing, failing in a class. And then, you know, cheating or not being, you know, not knowing how to go get into college or feeling like, Maybe college wasn't for me because I wasn't successful at it. Again, what is success? You know, successful at it the first time or all of these things are rooted in this belief I have about myself that I am stupid. The belief doesn't say, well, isn't it the teacher's job to make sure that you don't fall behind? And when you ask for help to try to find all of the ways to help you, not just push you off into a corner where they don't have to deal with you and they don't have to address the issue that probably you're dyslexic and you need some extra help. And then the lie doesn't say, well, you're the first person in your family to go to college. You don't know how to go to college. Nobody in your family knows how to go to college. Nobody's telling you how to get aid or how to, that there is a thing called FAFSA you're working, you move away to Reading, you get a job, you're paying your rent, you're buying food, you're doing all of these things as an 18, 19 year old that you don't know how to do. And then on top of it, you're paying for school out of that. Nobody is telling you the successful things you're doing. So the lie weaves into every area of your life until you can look the lie in the face and say, that is not true about me. I am not stupid. Now, in my case, it took me going to school at 39 and getting my master's, getting straight A's to undo some of that lie I believe and the God's honest truth is I still believe I am stupid because that has woven into every single part of my life that's the damage that it did it's like a cancer or black mold that grows in a a moist climate it's just growing unchecked unbleached uncured, just growing. And it's growing because there isn't anybody saying that's not true about you. And when they do say it, it, it barely makes a splash in the pool of, of, of stupid that you feel. So the lie is believed and takes shape in our lives and feeds on itself, basically. So any failure I have, I think, oh, that's the failure of a stupid person. Now, would I 
would I say out loud that I, that I, I'm stupid? No. Because I don't think I'm stupid. But society, education system, my parents, my classmates, all of the people that I had access to never showed me different. Never said, well, you know, you you learn this particular way, but look at all of these successful people that also have dyslexia that have been creative beyond imagination. <clears throat> I had to search those things out for myself. And still, that's then you're kind of still having to measure yourself against somebody else, which I think... It's nice to see others like you out in society, for sure. But there's also a drawback to that, to some degree, to think that you have to also be super successful. Anyway, if we are thinking about the lie that we have believed about ourselves, and we are going through life, living in a way that is either protecting someone from finding out the truth, which is the lie, because it's not the truth, or we are choosing not to go down certain roads because we were told that those roads are not for us. You're not strong enough. You're not capable enough. You're not smart enough. You're not thin enough. You're not muscular enough. You're not fast enough. Whatever it is. Whatever we've believed, we've not gone down certain roads because that belief has woven its way into the fabric of who we are. But if we take one thread at a time of that fabric and start pulling out the basis of what that lie has been built around, we can start unraveling the lie and replacing it with the truth because when we bring our full self when we bring our full self to the table what could the world look like what could the world look like if we're bringing the truth of who we are when we're not bringing the truth that somebody else has given us we're bringing our full selves a world with people living their full selves, is a world that I want to be a part of. We're not having to like only show up with part of who we are because we're afraid it won't be accepted. We're bringing all of who we are, the fullness of who we are, into community, into relationship. And I know when I say these things, I hope that you've listened to enough podcasts to know that I believe that you have to do what is safest for you. And it is not safe for everybody to show up in the fullness of who they are everywhere that they go. I know that 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 could cause death for some and humiliation and exile you know, shame, all kinds of bad things, exposure. But if we could show up in chosen family, in community, in 
maybe a small part of our job. You know, maybe it's a, a group of people that you hang out with that are co-workers with you. If you could show up in more places in your life in the fullness of who you are, it not only benefits you, but it changes the dynamic of the group because you're not having to keep the treasure of who you are a secret. You can lead with that gift, healer. You can lead with the gift, reconciler. You can lead with peacemaker. You can lead with joy bringer. You can you you can lead with medicine maker. I don't know what it is. One of you know we're multiple things. We're not just that one thing. Remember who you are is not just one thing. It's multifaceted. But we get to bring the treasure of who we are, the gift of who we are into places that are sacred to us, creating a container that can hold everybody's real who they are. Not just ours, it can hold, it has enough room and that room only expands as everybody can bring their true self to the table. That would change the world. If everybody listening to this, all 65 of you, I don't know how many people listen, doesn't matter. If all 65 of us in our sacred places, in our safe spaces could bring the fullness of who we are, that vulnerability, which is strength, that truth, that justice, embodying our full self, that's world changing. That means that it opens the door for everybody to bring their full self to the table, to to the table, meaning to the world, to life. That's a world that that is exciting to live in. And I think that going back to that poem, and we will give up our appetite for despair. That's that that thing that has shaped us, those words that were spoken over to us, either verbally, intentionally, through action, through non-action, that have given us a taste for despair that changes our palate, if you will, using the imagery that she's using. It shifts our palate for a palate of joy, for a palate of there is enough, for a palette of everybody is included. For a palette that looks like a kaleidoscopic world, not just one way, not just this way, not just this group of people's way. It opens it up for everybody to bring something beautiful. And that beautiful thing is the real, real person that they are. So I'm I'm still thinking about this. I I don't know all of the ways to do it for myself, but one of the ways that I that I do this for myself is when I hear those old words. I try I'm not always in a place where I can call out the lie and say, you know, I see you, stupidity, I don't think I'm stupid, 
you know, but I'm not really sure what to do with you right now, which is my practice. Sometimes all I can do is acknowledge that there's some painful piece in there, some tender piece. And to just acknowledge it internally and not be able to fix it is at least acknowledging it. And I think sometimes when we are able to acknowledge those painful pieces inside of us, in whatever way we can do that, we're making that internal space, that capacity to hold bigger with each thing that we can, we can look at and go, okay, I see you. Okay, I see you brokenness. Okay, I see you not enough. Okay, I see you stupidity. Okay, I see you ugly or failure or whatever your words are. Acknowledging it is a is a scary thing to do. Looking at it is a, is a scary thing to do. And I want to acknowledge that I know that it is scary. At the same time, I want to say, just like anything that remains in the dark, it is scarier to stay to stay unlooked at. And you can build up to speaking to it. Stupidity, not enough, failure, whatever it is. You can work up to having a conversation with it, which is what I do in the intensive journaling workshops that I lead. But maybe all you can do in the beginning is just kind of glance at it. Like do a peekaboo. Okay, I see you. And then as time goes on, when you realize you're not destroyed by it, you can give it a little bit more space. And by giving it space, it can show you what it's taught you or what its counterpart is. You know, what is the the counterpart of stupidity, I'm guessing, is intelligence. So maybe that's what I've been the whole time. I've been really intelligent, which I'm going to try to to cling to and and let that expand inside of me what what helps you understand yourself what helps you let those things filter down do those things like i've said on this it helps me to like do something physical so doing archery and thinking about the beliefs i have about myself going on an intense hike or a jog or for me, I'm a very physical person. So it helps to do something physical for these things to filter down. So that's, that's just what I wanted you to think about. I'm guessing that I'm not alone in holding kind of sad beliefs about myself and not wanting to continue to hurt myself in that way. I said this to somebody recently. I want to be the soft space for myself to land. Yes, I want, obviously, I want other people to be a soft place for me to land. But more than that, I want to create that soft space for myself to land. To not be the harsh voice of, oh, you did it again, or oh, you failed, Angie. Why are you this way? Why can't you get it right? But to go, 
that hurt. I'm sorry that happened. I want to give myself what my parents couldn't give me. I want to give myself what sometimes the closest people around me can't give me or I don't know how to ask for because I want to be that for myself and I want you to be that for yourself. So I'm going to leave you with one thought. Remember who you are. Remember who you are. Remember who you are. And then I have one more. You are worth loving. You are worth knowing. You are worth being in this world. You are worth loving. You are worth knowing. You are worth being in this world. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to my podcast. I really appreciate it. It has been exciting and fun for me, and I am excited for the upcoming guests I have. There are some people that you may know of and some people maybe that you don't, because that's the way it's going to be on here. But if you are interested in the conversation, please find me on my website at angiefatal.com. You can book a one-on-one spiritual direction appointment with me or do archery with me or, I don't know, buy something in my shop. You don't have to do that. What would also help me is for you to like share and subscribe that that would help me a lot because I'd love for this for this podcast to get into the hands of more people and for me to have new and exciting guests out there that maybe I haven't even met yet if you know of somebody that you think I should interview I'm not opposed to asking a total stranger so let me know who you think I should have on here and I will reach out to them And again, thank you for listening, and remember who you are. Bye. B-b-b-b-b-b-b-b-b-b-b-b-b-b-b-b-b-b-b-b-b-b-b-b-b-b-b-b-b-b-b-b-b-b-b-b-b-b-b-b-b-b-b-b-b-b-b-b-b-b-